Amen. Good morning, everybody, and hope you have had a wonderful weekend so far. If it is your first time with us, we are just really glad that you're here, and thank you for coming and checking out South Point. Uh, We have been walking through, and we're actually getting towards the end of this sermon series that we do. Uh, Typically at South Point, when we do a sermon series, it lasts for a long time. Um, And so we've been going through what we call the greatest sermon, and it's literally just the Sermon on the Mount, this time where Jesus takes a group of followers up a mountain, and he begins to teach, and he teaches in this message for about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, But in that 10 to 15 minutes, there is a lifetime worth of talking that you can do about it. And so as we kind of get closer towards the end of that, uh, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. So when we went online, there were some things that happened. We knew everyone was at home, and uh, this is weeks ago when it was strictly online. Um, There were two messages in the sermon Uh, that literally the week that we went online and we encouraged everyone, hey, have a watch party and get your family together and come together. Two of those messages were what we call kind of PG-13, nothing overly graphic, um, but it did seem a little weird to say, hey, get all your family together and then let's have some really awkward conversations. So within that, next week, we're going to kind of go back in time a little bit and we're going to catch up on those messages and then we're going to finish out the sermon. But today, today is kind of this pinnacle moment in the message. Now, by that, I don't mean, well, don't come back and listen to anything else because Jesus is still talking. But this is kind of what all this stuff has been building towards and building towards. And he makes a statement that is absolutely life-altering. And it's so minutely different from the way other people have said it that sometimes we don't even realize it. But sometimes one little change makes all the difference in the world, right? Like, we've got instruments that are up here, and it's kind of hard to see, but we've got some keyboards. So, I don't know, how many of you have ever, like, practiced piano, played piano, anything like that? Okay, a few of you. I took a full year's worth of piano lessons, and I can still play the first part of Jingle Bells unbelievably well. Um, And that is the complete extent. It was a, sorry, mom and dad, a lot of money spent. My bad. It's just not my thing. But a piano, that beautiful, beautiful instrument, it's like most concerts are built around a piano. Man, you can make some unbelievable sounds, deep, loud, all of that. But the piano didn't start that way. The piano wasn't the original invention. Before, there were actually a couple, but there was one in particular that was what's called a harpsichord. If you've ever heard that, it's, it looks like a piano, kind of plays like a piano. It sounds very different because inside in those workings, there are all the strings that are in a piano, but a harpsichord, it plucks them. There's a little, little hook that goes out and it plucks it, and it gives it a very ringing, sharp sound. And for a long time, that's how it went. And then somebody got the idea, hey, instead of that hook, what if I took a little hammer, and you push that key, and it would just strike it? And when he did that, that one little alteration dramatically changed the way that that instrument sounded. And I mean, you could do so much more with it, and literally all it was was this one minute change. And today, when Jesus starts talking, he's going to say something that people have heard for a really, really long time. But in typical greatest sermon fashion, he's going to change a while. Seven. We're going to start in verse 12, and we're just going to read that one verse and talk about that for a while. In verse 12, Jesus, as he's been preaching, he's been talking People are listening unbelievably intently because he's Jesus. He speaks with authority. He says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
Now, in your Bible, and a lot of times when we read this, we, we call this the golden rule. Like a lot of times your Bible will have like kind of a little bit of like, hey, here's what they're about to talk about. And so even in mind, it says the golden rule. Now, that has been around for a very, very long time. And it's existed in areas that are even outside of Christianity. But Jesus is going to give it a deeper meaning. Jesus is going to take the golden rule and he's going to give it a deeper meaning. And I would say this, the golden rule is about going above and beyond what others expect. It's about going above and beyond what others expect of us. Because the reality is, man, this has been around for a really, really long time. And when you look at the golden rule, it can have what we call a negative side. It can have what we call a positive side. The negative side takes it and says, hey, what you don't want done to you, don't do to other people. And in that form, the golden rule has existed for a really, really, really long time, and you can find it in a number of other religions. Like when it comes to Christianity, what we think of as Christianity, we think, okay, it's been around the longest. Well, Christianity isn't technically like the oldest religion. I would say the gospel is, because the gospel gets preached on page three of most of your Bibles. And so God creates Adam and Eve. The world is perfect. Adam and Eve sin. You kind of know this story. And God comes, and there's a consequence for sin. There's a, there's a punishment that's going to be made. And so on page 3 of most of your Bibles, God enters into the garden, and he's going to have to put those consequences into place. But the first thing that he does is he addresses the serpent. He addresses the devil. And he makes a statement. And he says, hey, I'm going to put enmity between you and her offspring. Now, again, not getting into a lot of biology, but there's only one time in all of hu- human existence that her offspring is used. Like normally we say their offspring because we get that whole biological thing that I'm not going to get into. But he says her offspring. He's talking about Jesus. It's what we call proto-euangelion, the first gospel. And that's the, the oldest religion that there is. So page three of the Bible, the gospel, literally before the consequence gets to Adam and Eve, hope is given. And that's what I love about Genesis chapter three. As dark and as painful as it is and the fact that sin entered into the world and we were separated from a good and holy God, Before the consequence even gets there, he goes, hey, I'm I'm giving you some hope. One day my son is going to come, and he's going to lay down his life so that you can have forgiveness and you can experience that. But from a religion standpoint, Christianity didn't really begin until Jesus came and laid his life down. There are much older religions, and those things, a lot of them have what we call a golden rule. Uh, Most of you probably have never even heard of it, but one of the oldest religions in the world is called Zoroastrianism. Uh, Thank you to my professor and uh, anthropology for teaching me about that one. Zoroastrianism says this, Do not do do unto others whatever is injurious to yourself. Now here's what I would say. That's actually pretty easy, right? Like, don't do something to others that would be injurious to myself. I don't have a hard time following that. Look, I don't like random people walking up and hitting me. Therefore, it's easy for me not to just go into H-E-B and punch someone. Like, now sometimes you may want to do that, but we don't because, hey, I wouldn't want somebody doing that to me. And so this is the, this is the little bit of the negative side of the golden rule. And so in Hinduism, Hinduism says this, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Again, I would argue this is really not that hard. I don't like things being painful in my life. Most of us don't go seeking out something of, hey, you know what? I really wish someone would walk up and poke me with a sharp stick. Like, that's really what I've been looking for today. No. And so if I don't want that done to myself, I would not cause pain to another person. Uh, In Buddhism, 
Buddhism says this, treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. And so, from a hurtful standpoint, I wouldn't want somebody walking up and yelling at me in some very offensive way. Like finding, I mean, we can find things about us, you know, find lots of things about me to make fun of, and I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me, and so I don't do that to others. And then in Confucianism, it says, is there any rule that one should follow all of one's life? Yes, the rule of gentle goodness. That which we do not wish to be done to us, we do not do to others. And so these are religions from all over the world, in different places, and all of them have a golden rule. It just kind of gets presented in what we would call a negative light because it's things that we don't want done. But then what about Judaism? Because Jesus is a Jew. Like he is of Jewish descent. He's a descendant of one of the greats, David. And so Judaism would definitely say something different, right? Well, it turns out only a few years before Jesus began his ministry, there was a Jewish rabbi and a Gentile came to him and said, hey, I want you to define the, uh, tell me what the Bible or what the law says and, and do it in the time that it takes me to stand on one foot. And this guy was pretty smart. And so this is what he said. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary. Again, I would make the argument, those are not that hard to follow. Because by nature, I don't like when injustice or wrong is done to me. You don't like when pain is brought into or caused in your life. And so if we take that side of it, the golden rule is it's actually really not that hard. It's still important. Like, it keeps us from doing really dumb things and bad things to people, and maybe bad things not being done to us. But if you change it ever so slightly, the meaning behind it is completely different. And this is what Jesus does. And so you see all of these things, and in the negative light, it seems kind of easy. Jesus gives it in a positive outlook. And to be really honest, it's a lot harder. Because when Jesus gives it in a positive outlook, it gives a new outlook on life, and it gives a new outlook on life's obligations. Because Jesus doesn't say, don't do. Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. He takes it and he changes it ever so slightly. And now, man, this, this is a lot harder <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, actually, in a lot of ways. Because now it's not just, you, you know, if you take those other ones, you can go live in a cabin in the middle of nowhere and you can fulfill that all day long. This requires action. This requires us to go out and ask the question, what do I, what do I want done to me? And sometimes we think of that and we go, man, I don't want to be selfish. No, no, God is encouraging us. What do you want done in your life? That is a good thing. Well, man, I, I like to be blessed. Okay, be a blessing to others. I like to be respected, be respectful to others. You see how this is so very different from the negative side. The positive side of this makes us ask the question, well, what do I like? And I want that done to me. And then you have to go, okay, am I willing, am I willing to be obedient as I'm called to do that to others? And so we kind of have to ask a question like, what does the golden rule look like in our lives? And I'm going to say this, it's not easy. It requires a lot of us being selfless, which is why Jesus teaches it, because he's the only one that can ultimately model this. I think it was J.D. and I were talking earlier this week, and we were talking about how, hey, there's times where you go to a message, and we couldn't remember who it was. It was a famous pastor in the past. 
way better than me. And uh, he said, hey, if you don't go into a sermon and find something offensive, you're not listening. <laughs> and man, this one, like you're hearing it this morning. I've had to reflect on this all week. Because what would it look like if we practiced the golden rule, and let's just take a couple of them, and look, they're hard. What if we practiced the golden rule when it came to marriage? If you've ever read the book Love and Respect, it's a book that I really encourage people if they're engaged or you're you know, married, you need something good. Love and Respect is a great book. Men want to be respected, women want to be loved, and you can flip that around even. Let's just take those two things. Let's take it from a guy's side. Do I like to be respected? Yes, I do. Like, there's nothing in me that should apologize for that. There's nothing in me that should feel ashamed of, hey, I want to be respected. But then the golden rule side of it is, hey, am I being respectful to my spouse? Do I want to be loved? Yes. I, I want that. Like, I want to feel loved. Every one of us wants that. But are we willing to do that with the other person? This is where the golden rule gets really hard. This is where you take the negative side of the golden rule, and it's fairly easy. You can, you can distance yourself, and you can kind of pull away, and you're going, hey, I'm doing it. Whereas when Jesus says it, it requires action. Do I want to be loved in my relationship? Then I need to love others. Do I want to be respected? Yes, then I need to respect others. Do I want to be blessed in some way? Well, then yes, then I need to do that to others. What would it look like? What does the golden rule look like at work? When you go to a place of business, wherever it is, maybe you're an employer, maybe you're an employee, what does the golden rule look like when it comes to work? Well, ask the question, do I want to be rewarded? Yeah. Like when I do something, I, I want to be rewarded for that. Okay, well, are we willing to reward others? Are we actively looking and saying, hey, what can I do to make this person feel appreciated? What can I do to make this person feel valued? What can I do to be respectful within that? Do I want someone, if I have somebody and they come and they do something around my house or they mow my yard or something like that, do I want them to do a good job? Most certainly. We want that. Well, am I willing to do that in my job? Like we want others to do those things, but are we willing to put the effort to where when we walk in, our boss knows that, hey, that is going to be an amazing employee. Like the gospel would tell all Christians, all believers, if you're following Christ, you should be the best worker that your employer has. You should work hard. You should do it with great diligence because we know, that, hey, we, it's a, one, it's a blessing, and two, when we read this, this is how it applies into work. And so I want to do a good job with that. What would the golden rule look like in social justice? Do, do I want people to look at me and see value? Most certainly. Well, then I need to look at other people and see the value that they have. And I know this has been such a hot-button topic, and it's one that, again, people can get all of, I'll get to that in a second, getting, getting lots of different camps and lots of different fences and things like that, but here's the reality. Do you want to, people to look at you and see value? <clears throat> yeah. And so whenever I look out at other people, regardless of color, regardless of gender, anything like that, I look at that person and I see value. Because I know Genesis 1, 27, God said, let us make man in our image. We are image bearers. And so when we look out, what does the golden rule look like when it comes to, excuse me, something like social injustice? It's looking and going, hey, I want to be valued, and so I'm going to value other people. What would the golden rule look like in 
We talked about social justice. What would it look like in social media? Oh, I don't know if you know this, but people have a lot of opinions on social media, right? And some of them, they're not correct. And if people are going, I wonder if he's talking about me, don't worry. Everyone sitting around you is thinking the same thing, right? Here's, here's where we talk about when we talk about grace, I would say this. It has been a rough year, and I love that JD prayed this way. It's been a rough year so far. I don't know if you just woke up in 2020. Um, it just keeps getting crazier. Like, we need to stop saying it can't get crazier because, again, we just got a dust storm from another continent. Like, how does that even happen? Um, people are on edge. People are stressed. We've got people that have lost jobs. We've got people that their work schedules have changed. We've got people that are dealing with someone who's sick in their family. We've got people that are trying to go to a doctor and can't get in because other people are sick. Like, it is a rather frustrating time. And so from a grace standpoint, I'd say this. So many times when it gets stressed like that, what happens is people start looking for a voice. And when it comes to something like social media, you can find that. The other day I saw somebody that said, finally a voice of reason. It wasn't a voice of reason. They had just found the voice they wanted to hear. There are so many times where when it comes to that, people are just looking, where is the voice that's going to affirm what I believe or where is the voice that's going to encourage my belief in this and we miss out on the fact that God is standing there going, I'm the voice. I am. And he says in Psalms, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. As we get frustrated at times and we have to feel that we've got to vent it in some way, I would say this, do we want others doing that to us? No. So maybe I'll say this, when it comes to something like social, like maybe if we proclaim the gospel as much as we proclaimed whatever it is <laughs> that our opinion is, people would know Jesus a lot more. Yeah. And so the golden rule, again, the golden rule is not easy. The golden rule requires a lot of us. And in reality, Jesus is the only one that can really even say this to us. And we see God throughout all of it. And he says, so whatever you do. So the so is he's, he's talking about some of the commands that he's given. So you got God there. And he says, and when he ends it, he says, for this is the law and the prophets. He like says, hey, this is so important that I'm surrounding it with God. Like, as, as much as these people knew the Torah, they, they, they understood the law and the commandments, he goes, hey, God is in this, and God is calling us not only to just avoid people, but to do for others what we want done for ourselves. When we live the golden rule, the world looks unbelievably positive, right? There's no more slavery. There's no more war. There's no more infighting. There's no more bitterness. Because we're thinking of ourselves, and we want good things for ourselves, and therefore we want good things for others. From an ethical standpoint, this is like the pinnacle of what you could have. The world would look completely different if we could just go and live this out. And then he takes a little bit of a turn. In verse 13, he says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. One thing, as I'm talking, I'm going to grab something that I know I left. And if you're watching online, um, no, the screen didn't freeze. So this is a difficult verse. These two verses, actually, are, they're pretty difficult. 
The reason that they're difficult is they, from Scripture, proclaim something that is true that at times can be really, really hard to hear. Because what he just said is the way that leads to life, there's not as many people on that as we might want, that we might hope for. He said, hey, wide is the path, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and there are a lot of people on that path. And sometimes we don't want to think about that. We don't want to dwell on that because it's heavy and it's hard. Because, hey, those are people. Those are sometimes people that you know, sometimes people that you love, sometimes people that, that you, you really want to see on a different path. But the reality is it's a pretty wide path that leads to destruction. And there are a lot of people on it. Here in just a couple weeks, Jesus is going to say, hey, there's a lot of people that think they're on a narrow path. And he goes, man, you're playing a game. You don't know. You're going to say, I did all these things in your name, and Jesus is going to say, I I don't know you. This is where these two verses are difficult and they're hard because there's a really big path out there that a lot of people are on, and it leads to destruction. And so you can be on one path or the other. That's the only options. This is how a lot of people see it. They see this, like as the end goal, and this is kind of what it looks like. Man, it's a wide path. And I, you know, at first it's easy. I can start out on it and I can go, but as I get a little bit closer, man, I realize, man, I got some baggage. I got some things that I don't want to give up. I've got some things that I don't want to let go of, and it stops them. And sometimes you go, well, I can get past a little bit of that, and then it still gets further in, and man, I, I just, I can't let loose of all of it in this fall away. And then there's some times where people get up there and maybe you've listened to a number of these messages and you go, when he talks about, hey, maybe you've, maybe you've arrived at the gate. Maybe you've arrived at the door. And there's times where people go, well, I'm here and man, Jesus, your teachings, okay, the Christians are annoying at times, but what you say, man, that's really good stuff. It's, it's just really hard to argue with things that are written from Jesus. And sometimes people go, man, I, I, I think that he is a good person. I will acknowledge that maybe, yeah, Jesus did exist. I didn't think he existed, but I'll at least acknowledge, yeah, he existed. And you kind of get to that point and you go, okay, well, his teachings are kind of like this. It's like, well, what a nice door. You can talk about the architecture. You can talk about sturdiness. You can talk about all the different aspects of it. But Jesus didn't say, hey, just come and look at the gate. Later in Luke, he would say, enter through that gate. So what it really looks like This is what it actually looks like. It's not you fix yourself and come to the door. No. You can't unpack all of your stuff. That's just a reality. No one does that. You don't clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. So it doesn't look like you unpacking. It's a narrow path. And there's not as many that are on it. But this is just where it begins. It begins when we enter in through that gate, it begins when we say, I am willing and ready to turn from my way to Jesus, and I want to follow him. And here's what happens on the other side of it. Yeah, it was narrow at the beginning. Then it just becomes this ever-growing, ever-increasing thing for all eternity. Like when we spend an eternity in heaven with him, like our minds can't even wrap themselves around just how beautiful that's going to be. But it all begins right there. 
It begins when he says, hey, you've got to enter in through that gate. And so all of us have a decision to make within that. What is that decision going to be? Well, it's either walking in or staying on a wide path. That's the reality. And that wide path, yeah, it's easy. That's why a lot of people stay on it. It doesn't require a lot, but it leads to destruction. The narrow path requires everything. It requires you laying down your life because he laid down his. Turning away and saying, hey, it's not about me anymore. I want to follow him. That decision is life-altering. That decision is, makes us into a new creation. And it all begins, anyone can just walk up to a door, right? We talked about last week, anyone can knock. But you, it's more than just looking. We're called to enter. So let's pray. Maybe you're watching online or maybe sitting here and like from the decision standpoint, many of you kind of know what that looks like. You said, yeah, I, I, I know there was a time where I said, man, I, I, don't, I don't know Christ. And then there was a point where I said, yeah, I want to make that personal. I want to follow him. I want to enter in through that gate. And that's something we celebrate because that does. It makes us into a new creation. But maybe you've never done that. Maybe when you take a moment and you reflect on your life, you go, man, I am on a pretty wide path. How do I get off? It's acknowledging that, hey, I, I understand that, yes, I am a sinner. Genesis 3 is really clear. Like, that's just who we are. Like, we've all done things that we would call sin, and that separates us from God. But the beauty of his grace and mercy was that he sent his son who lived a sinless life and laid his life down and invites us to enter into a new life. And when we can honestly say, I understand sinner, but I want to turn away from that. I want to follow Christ. And that instant, it is a new creation. And if that's you today, I'm going to pray for us in just a second. If that's you, if you're watching and you, that's where you're at, you're ready to take that step, Maybe it's just as simple as saying, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn from my ways and I want to follow you. And I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. And if that's you and you're online, I encourage you, fill out one of the online connect cards. One of our staff pastors, we would love to talk to you. If that's you today, grab one of us afterwards. We would love to talk through that. And then for all of us, as we go out this week, we have a challenge Not just to simply not do things to people, but to do. So God, let us model the golden rule in the way that you've intended it. And God, as we do that, let it point people back towards you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.